Welcome to Team Reptile Edition 187 with Exertus, Paul, and I, Multiversal Playground. Join the team as we have Paul and Exertus and and I in for an intellectual scrum. Everything from hashtag origins to new paradigm schematics to the myth and history of the color blue. Welcome, all of you. Welcome, happy to be here. Salaamu Alaikum. Glad you guys all could make it. Um, so I have yet to ever speak to Andi. I'm not sure if that's a play on Andy or what, but um, Paul has brought him along for the ride. And Rafa had tried, I think, over other time periods to get him on. So I've never met you, but I'm glad to have you in the treehouse. We'll hang out up here and talk. Uh, Andreas, I'm glad you could make it. I know you're on the East Coast doing some cool shit. I saw the beginning, like, 10 minutes of your Echo video the other day, and it was very surreal seeing you uh, watching Alex Jones pour whiskey or whatever the fuck, saying it was orange juice. So I want to tap into that. I forgot about that. Um, and obviously Paul Goodman in the house. What up, dude? So what we normally do here at the beginning of these podcasts is uh, I take the episode number, which is 187, and that's uh, reduced down to seven, ultimately. And that is the chariot card. I think I'm doing this. Yeah, seven. Uh, so the chariot card is, I am confident that with discipline, I will succeed. The chariot card is about taking charge of your own destiny, seizing the moment, letting the momentum carry you forward, finishing what you set into motion. Don't hesitate. You can do this. Raphael, uh, what are you up to now with your card selection? <laughs> What is happening now? Yeah, so after we got through all the Galactic Heritage cards, which with 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 what I would say was the perfect ending uh, last show with Thomas, as he just stumbled upon the book that's written by Lisa Royal about all of that after having his own confirmatory revelations beforehand. So perfect to as always. always. Check it out, kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. So now we're going to switch over and also just go chronologically because so for now this always worked pretty well. And uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Brian Lars Deus Angelis or uh, Divine Angel deck. And there's quite a lot of text actually within the manual that is yet unpublished as print, I believe. So what I would do is I would simply mention the name of the angel and read the angel qualities and human distortions. What do you think about that methodology, Jim? That sounds cool. We'll start there. I actually just recently got this deck. He had, um, had he needed to reprint it, so I've been waiting for a few months, and I just picked it up myself. So I've got both of his decks, and I'm stoked on it. I've got the uh, PDF that you're talking about. It's rather lengthy descriptions, which I'm all about hearing. If you want to do that, but if you want to be, um, you know, for brevity's sake, do whatever's clever. It's your your deal. So. The conch is yours, Raphael. All right, so we begin at the beginning with uh, Angel, and I'm probably going to butcher this almost every time, because um, this is originally, of course, Hebrew names. The Angel Vehuya, and this is the Angel of Will and New Beginnings. 
So I'm first going to start with the human distortions and get, get in, go to the angel qualities. So human distortions here are lack of dynamism and willpower, stubbornness, relentlessness, anger and turbulence, people who intervene in affairs that will end badly, rushing into things without thinking, having a dangerous passion about something, incapable of deciding which direction to take, and lastly, one who imposes their will or forces destiny. And the angelic qualities are divine will, brings the primordial creative fire capacity to initiate, to begin success for all new creations, guides toward innovative work in an avant-garde field, sets the example, serves as a model and a leader, allows us to get out of an impasse and confusion, renewed energy that heals depression, abundance of energy, courage, audacity, bravery, loves as if it were for the first time. So I'm curious if you guys, between the chariot card and I can't pronounce the name because it's not in front of me, but that angel card, uh, felt any synchronicities or resonances? Well, yeah. I would pull in three cards, and the first card I pulled from your deck that you showed me was the chariot as well. So oh, that's shit. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it's More the DeLorean. And, yeah, he's a DeLorean in front of the castle. It's very Tartarian Mall. It looks like that Lone Pine Mall. Um, and yeah, in terms of the angel, like so the next thing I pulled was the star. David Bowie in your water pulling out, pulling out jugs. Um, and, you know, the man who fell to earth. So, yeah, that felt like, yeah. Fallen Angels, David Bowie. Amazing. Go ahead, Pat. I also pulled one card. It's Fluidity from the Galactic Heritage Cards deck. And it's in a parallel dimension of Andromeda. But I want to get back to Raphael's cards because I know these cards and they're the most beautiful angel cards that I have ever seen. They have the original Hebrew signs all around and... The artworks are just really, really beautiful. Super surreal stuff. That's why I got it. Actually, long story short, um, I had wanted that originally. There had been a mix-up, so I got the uh, his other deck, which is also dope. And then this one was out of print. And then he's like, I'll hit you up when it's out of, back in print. And I think he just got a bunch, so people should check it out. Um, Raphael does another program with him on the regs. Uh, Brian Lark goes by the wizard with a Y, wizardofodd.com. Check that shit out. And you will see the art. Basically, I mean, I'm simplifying it, but it seems like, uh, I mean, the process is something to the effect of like light and smoke effects that are mirrored that create kind of almost um, Rorschach-esque smoke angelic effects. And yeah, there's sigils on them. They've got all sorts of planetary correspondences. Um, what Raphael read was one of the few aspects of each of these cards. So there's quite a bit of information. And I haven't yet really fully incorporated it into my work yet, but I've been chomping at the bit to get them because I know they're powerful. Um, there's a whole process of how he did it. We'll have him come on uh, and talk more about that deck probably at length at some point. But, uh, Andai, what are you thinking about the Chariot card? Are you into tarot and all these kinds of card stuffs? I I feel like I'm. this is like a dating, you know, uh, Bachelor number one. Like, I have no clue who's behind the um you know door or whatever so tell us your thoughts uh if any yes clearly um well just uh, referring to the first comment where, where you were asking about the origin of the name and i it's a self-given name i was born as anthropos human and as all of us we are human 
And my parents, of course, called me Andy. You sense that right? That was very loving, while it never made sense to me. So using the English language a lot, I found out that the way I see the world is exactly as the world is in front of me. And then I have an opinion according to my learnings, my understandings, and my developments, right? So that's a very simple thing, and I love to hear my name calling in the speech everybody in English has whenever he talks, right? That's what I love. Uh, according to the cards, there is uh, something that I must tell you, I don't have the cards in front of me. You all seem to have the cards in front of you. But knowing Raphael, I'm sure that they're amazing. And I resonate very much with, with the text of the second angel that Raphael was reading to us. Um, the virtues are wonderfully uplifting, and I like them very much, and I could imagine taking them as guidelines, every single one of them. While I found it kind of funny that the negativity is called human distortion, you know? Because Great. I think that that all this, what is described as negativity in this, is uh, nothing but... Uh, a description of a fear of the unknown, you know? So if we are here to develop a new value system, then it is also to transform all negativity into positive understanding, right? That's a good point. Uh, Raphael, did you have a comment on that? No, I just agree. And uh, yeah, I think this is one of the core things one can do is like, you know, not have I would say negative assumptions about whatever human nature is. And I mean, this already could be a huge rabbit hole we could immediately fall into in terms of what are made human, what are humans made to believe about themselves? Yeah. <laughs> As a generic statement, but yeah, I'll leave it, I'll leave it to you guys. Beautiful. And, oh, go ahead, Paul. Oh, I just wanted to say that I also agree on what Andy said and that Raphael made a beautiful point in what he just said. So it's funny because the moon, um, astrologically, as we are speaking, is in Cancer, which is the chariot card. Uh, and I felt there was quite a few resonances between the chariot saying, you know, take that initiative, finish what you start, you've got the momentum, you know, you can do this. And with the will, right, the angel of the will, where it's like, do it. And then the shadow of that being like, don't just exert your will uh, to the point where, you know, you're being totalitarian and not. Uh, sympathetic or uh, sensitive to the situation beyond your ego or whatever. So I guess uh, that's all I have to say about those cards as far as the resonance for me. We can kind of take this anywhere. I The original plan was to have two separate podcasts. Uh, Andreas was going to have his own and we we're going to talk about some stuff and Paul was going to have his own. Raphael suggested let's mix it all together. Everyone seemed okay with it and I has joined us. So it's a big old party up in here. I'm not really sure where we want to start. Um, I wanted to actually say really quickly that, and uh, I totally connected with your story as an Andreas. I totally connect with your story on the Andes because I was called Andy as a kid, and oh, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really dig it as much. So I go and eventually I was Smurf because I dyed my hair and my face blue by accident subsequently. But in military sky academy, blue, I hope. Oh, uh, it was indigo. I, I don't believe in the sky being blue. I uh, will get into that, I'm sure. But like, here's okay. here's 
here's how the world uh, has taken a course with the Andes. There's an Andrew Council that I am a part of that we run, the Council of Andrews. And there are tens of thousands of people named Andreas or Andrew around the world that we've joined together on the internet. And so they actually help each other out. They support um, their videos. Everyone's in different things and connecting with each other. It's so, sort of like a men's lodge for people with the Anders um, name. How many are you guys? Uh, there's like... Oh, there's tens of thousands now, and it's it's growing really fast. And you should definitely be a part of it. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, would. I mean, we're many, we're many. You are the others, and the others are you. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Reminds me a little of the uh, I, "I am Legion, and we are many" kind of uh, Bible. Totally. Thing. Well, and you also then you know Jim said it's, uh, this is sweet. Exert- yeah, that is kind of the 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 old route. While today we can say there are no others, you know, and then the thing becomes very simple. Anything you see, anything you perceive, is you. Yeah, yeah. So like Exertus is like um, exert us, right? So it's he was saying earlier not to exert your will, and it's like exactly not to exert I, but to exert us. So I find is that it the funny. etymology. Yeah, sort of. I my etymology was because I created the word was the beginning of the end of man because exert is like to come out of and us is the masculine ending and it's the end of the word. So I had this idea that it's the beginning of the transhumanist uh, apocalypse Armageddon times. But I see now more and more value in the ideas of us and we and moving forward. And it's like just because it's the end of something, it's really the beginning of something. It's a there's no death, there's no birth, there's only world bridging so and when we accept the idea of transformation then there is no beginning or end there's only transformation totally and that's like so in uh mayan astrology you know like they have different things in aquarius or pisces or whatever i am a white galactic world bridger according to the mayan astrology and i was like what does that mean like well in mine it's death or birth because they just have this word for world bridging but it tends to be that when someone's finishing a project or about to begin a project i come into their life for a moment and i'm around as they're you know choosing to retire or start some new projects so i I find that there is a big uh, and my mom was an OBGYN, so I'm constantly around people being birthed and dying, like, all the time, you know. Yeah, and and there's this old saying, uh, every sleep is a little death, you know. Every meditation is a little death, if you want so. So, hello, death. Thank you for all yeah. your inspiration. I thought I saw you post a meme, Exertus, about that. Am I tripping, or did you just post something about every sleep is a little death? Uh, me, no, we were talking about this, but death can also mean, you know, death of ego and, you know, the Jungian shadow, like you have this idea that you kill or you bake a seed, right? If you bake a seed, it can't grow. And so certain seeds um, are nourishing the soil and other seeds are, you know, waiting to be active and you want them to grow, but like certain ones you don't, you know, for whatever reason. So it's all about, um, in, in the Bible, they talk about, oh, man, there's weeds in the field. What do we do? It's like, we'll wait until the end and we'll harvest both and we'll take the weeds out at the end because otherwise you'll just destroy the field. But the real trick is before it plants, if you bake the seeds, then the weed seeds would not grow. Better living through seed baking sounds like something Cheech and Chong might do. So <laughs> um, maybe something we could start with uh, is the color blue. I mean, it seems like we kind of tapped on that a little, and I know I saw. I don't know if there's more to it than that, but I watched like a 15 minute it's video. It's so huge. 
Right. I knew the Japanese didn't have a word for blue. Like, I already knew this somehow. Some, like, you know, in school, they tell word. you that, like, the Greeks, they didn't have a word for blue. Like, the, the, you know, Homer's Odyssey, like, he talks about the wine colored seas, the gray and black skies, like, a lot of colors, like yellow and red. And green. if you ever talk to a And that wasn't just poetic person, license as opposed no. to, like, uh, you know, cr- uh, um, chromatic failure or whatever well it is a chromatic failure it's a lack of cones so if you start to like talk to colorblind people who are not fully colorblind they have limited cones or you talk to women in siberia and russia who have additional cones uh, and we've studied even insects that have even more cones there are ranges of photoactive radio wave density par density that you can perceive and um, I think I posted a picture of it at some point. I'll, if you can, if you guys want, you can go to the Exertus uh, Discord or Exertus.com or go to Exertus YouTube and you can find, you know, we have the MK Bluebird, the Skylight video kind of about this. But if you look at a rainbow spectrum and you see how uh, it's like hundreds of times as much uh, variance between yellow and red, but between um, green, uh, purple and green, there's this big blue sensor bar actually and it just goes blue like that like there's no uh it's like a drop off and so it looks like there's this big blue chunk that's just covering up an entire extra eight colors of spectrum between ultraviolet and infrared and you think about the why is the sky blue it's a famous question but the sky is not blue right the sky is sometimes black the sky is sometimes rainbow you know in the sunsets and sunrises but the blue and the sea even the sea was not blue according to anybody and the egyptians have a color they call egyptian blue right and that wasn't blue it was this turquoise and the the mayans you know they start looking around all of a sudden where does blue happen it happens in babylon and you have these uh walled gardens where they use um blue crystal line to to make mineral to make um i think bloodsite to make the um the blue dyes and this just sort of happens so also other, like the blue eyes kind of just popped out of nowhere not one for too one recently. Yeah, one person, they say all, all uh, blue-eyed people come from one mutation at one point. And BBC and every you know, that's like normal person data is saying that they That's blue. not hyper-woo. It's like yeah. facts, quote-unquote. I got you. Hashtag facts. And think about Facebook. Think about Wikipedia. Think about your computer. Think about how much blue they use everywhere on everything. And it seems like pretty impressive. But if you were to take a computer or a certain kind of sensor that we use, we can actually take the blue light apart and we can then digitally um, put in another rainbow and you can actually divide blue up into hundreds of times as much data and you start to see what's really going on which is that if there was if you could perceive whatever is where blue is instead of this blue censoring bar you would see beautiful vibrant in the daytime skies that would just be filled with the stars that at night you can see uh, but bright- Did blue screens predate green screens uh, yeah, technically, but chroma key started out um, with just white and black. They used luminance keying originally, but blue screens did, and the reason was because of uh, film. Because film has seven layer prefer well, originally there's one layer, but you have a celluloid and you sputter it. Like imagine you have a toothbrush and you spray silver oxide onto this, you sputter it, like flickering it off your toothbrush, like on a mirror, like right onto this plastic wrap, and you do that seven times, and there's a chemical in between each layer. 
And so when light hits it, the layer that is for, um, you know, cyan, magenta, like, you know, Sartreus, uh, like CMYK for yellow and the chromatics, then you have RGB in between. So between the four and the three, you have seven layers. And the light hits it, it burns away each part of the different layers, which is how you have modern colored, colored film. Um, blue was uh, so juxtaposed in the crystalline particles but with cmos chips and computers which you know those are a red green and a blue uh sensor chip um green is more in opposition to red and you can kind of imagine the way they work with paints versus the way they work with light you have um red blue yellow in paint and you have red green uh blue blue in uh, light because paint works by absorption so you're actually seeing everything but that color refracting off when the light hits it whereas in corpuscules and this is another weird thing is that you know isaac newton said at one point that light had particles and that they were called corpuscules and then people said that doesn't make any sense because when light shines through a lens how could particles go through glass it's impossible well we now know particles do go through things right like we know all about um neutrinos and and how thick glasses and how you know radio waves and particles actually do go through things it's so not as solid as they had presumed right so actually corpuscules and all the 1600s uh stuff makes you know isaac newton might not have been wrong about that was he getting that from goethe or is that like a straight up his own shtick i mean okay so this even gets into the hashtag thing there is no new thing under the sun right well, except for, that's what we've been told except except for maybe blue but <laughs> like, and you honestly, were called smurf back in the day so was that like a false flag color operation nickname or like... well okay so even another layer of that story so when i was a kid my dad used to make me go to school on saturdays you know and he wasn't beating me but like he was just, <laughs> he made me go to like study german and sanskrit and so when i went to the sanskrit temple which adobe had built you know the software company for their indian programmers in campbell so I was going to this like Adobe programmer headquarters, really, that like we're, we're learning an ancient language and worshiping uh, Krishna, well, mostly Rama, but they loved Krishna, too. And they both have blue skin and my skin and my hair. They were like, dude, are you making fun of us? Like, you know, I wasn't. But I mean, they were like, is he Krishna or is he making fun of Krishna? Like, so that's a good point. So um, given the fact that their deities are blue skinned, how does that fit into the model of blue didn't exist? Is that like a modern misinterpretation? Right. So again, with the blue is what we're perceiving from the color, right? So everything refracting back, but your cones in your eyes, if you had the capacity and you might actually could see more color there instead, basically where blue is, what blue is, you would see, you know, vibrant rainbow. Uh, it's hard to describe really what you'd see if you don't, I mean, imagine ultraviolet or infrared, like there's, you, there's further spectrum there that you would notice, but think about what makes blue blood animals in nature. We have a very, very, very few, and George Carlin said this, there's like no blue berries that really purple. What blue animals are there? Butterflies aren't blue. You've seen um, blue. It's actually because of black and white and the light refracting. Um, there's a lot of people who think they see a blue dress in this one picture. That's actually a yellow and white and black dress. Um, the human eyes per perceive blue in places especially as they get older it replaces a lot so it shows that it's actually degradation of our observational skills 
um, and probably even our biological cones being destroyed. And, you know, people are wearing these headsets, they're looking at blue light, and it's killing them um, in a lot of ways. The blue is actually, like, I actually am kind of against the color blue. <laughs> I try to use, like, red and flux filters on my computers to get rid of blue and not use Facebook, not just because I hate it, but aesthetically, I think the blue is bad for you. I have my devices set on night mode just because that, like, that blue kind totally. of stuff is very... Uh piercing um anybody have thoughts on blue or questions before i i mean i'm just uh, you mentioned adobe i think i saw you post something about adobe doing something weird the other day or no no that was somebody else that was sean mcgregor he just posted that like i guess adobe's going to html5 now and dropping support that was like intrinsic to the model or something so maybe i'm just tripping out this is what happens when you see a lot of uh, Adobe's data. done on, I mean, on a whole other level, Adobe's done some things that really bother me because they buy companies, you know, like any company does, and then they'll shut down the program because they don't want to continue working on it. And so in my life, I've learned a number of programming languages that no one's ever heard of that were really impressive and could do amazing things. And then two years later, the project was dead. I mean, and Microsoft does the same thing. C Sharp, for instance, ActionScript and C Sharp are like, you know, Adobe and Microsoft's um, proxy. Um, languages and that gets back into like the hashtag thing even and the airbase and like these ancient symbols you know like the at sign was first um, noticed in 1345 by Constantinos uh, Manassis um, and you, you know it's used for metric weights I think of a quarter of a weight or this and that and you know the, the I would like to get back to the blue Oh yeah, go right ahead. Go right before ahead. we fly away too far. Uh, before we fly away, exactly, and, and the end and the hashtag will will follow. <laughs> uh, well, it is very interesting. I mean, amazing guy. What what you all, all the stuff you know. I'm I'm really uh, I feel honored that I get such a quick lecture about things in in a nutshell. Um, anyways, the the bottom line. Uh, okay, come on. Sky blue or blue is neither good nor bad. In for some reason, uh, working as an artist with uh, colors, I was very much amazed by the skies, and I was spending the last two summers uh, sky and cloud gazing. You know, and I found for myself that sky blue is the color that connects all humans on this planet. Everybody sees the same sky. You know, the changing colors, of course. Um, the skies are the connecting element. And so for me, sky blue became the color of human potential because it connects everybody with everything. You know, that's my take. Uh, but colorblind people, they don't actually see a blue sky. They see this rather um, Xbox green. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a seafoam color instead of blue. And we've been able to do tests on that. So it's it's kind of interesting that What, okay, and so biologically, what evolution, you know, science documentaries on mainstream television say is that out of the water, we came onto land and we needed to differentiate green so that we could see foliage and flora and fauna. And then we differentiated green with red so we could see blossoms and we could see, you know, fruit upon foliage that was not, you know, dead land and barren soil. So there's there is a value to being ha having more cones. Um, there there is a, un a unifying quality, but what scares me is that unification because maybe we're supposed to see many beautiful colors and maybe we're missing out, you know. Well, I mean, if if 
if a smart person talks, uh, what impresses me the most is that these people live the fact that they know that they don't know. So this blue that you're describing is for me the biggest potential because this is something where we see the least for now. So this is where we should focus on, right? I absolutely agree. And it it's the thing that blows my mind the most is that whenever we are able to see more, like I imagine that like it's a veil that will be lifted. Um, but it does, it does unite us. Absolutely. If I may, so I'll just put this on record here. So it lives on in a sense, a memory of a dear friend who has since departed and quite connected, very special, unique individual. And one of the things that this individual mentioned to me at some point is was like, whether I like the color blue or dark blue, I really like dark blue. And then he was just saying, in, we had some strange conversations, you know, um, he was saying like, well, don't you want, what is the feeling that it invokes with you? And I was like, well, you know, many different things, many associations that could come up. And he was like, don't you want, isn't it like the feeling that you would want to know more or that you would want to look beyond? And that in exactly strikes into the vein of what you mentioned, Exodus, just now, highly interesting uh yeah, pretty, pretty cool. So yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. My totally. my uh, gr my grandmother, uh, my great grandmother, and my great aunt were obsessed with um, China porcelain and blue. You know, like um, navy blue, they called it, <clears throat> and they had to stay at depression. And so <laughs> I've always thought, you know, like about that, about the maybe there's a connection. Like if I'm in a room that's bright colors, it, it's more, I've had a room with every color wall, but blue, I had red and purple and yellow. And green. It was like really vibrant and exciting. So then I've had um, experiences in their old homes and it just feels subdued, you know, subduing and depressing and calming and melancholy in a strange way. Um, so I've always felt like there's like a weird, a weird quality of what, what blue does to your emotions. Also, when you think about boys and girls wearing red uh, or pink and blue, well, pink was a boy's color for the law. I mean, really you think about Krishna consciousness again the were blue the people who loved krishna were pink and this orange pink robes um those were the baptist suits that you know gray suits that baptists wear they used to wear pink dresses the conservatives you know of the of india and then in the 20th century at the beginning i think in the 1910 1920 they started saying well women are going to need to be activated let's give them pink Let's paint their rooms pink. And, you know, rather than subduing girls like they'd been doing for centuries, they started activating girls. And then boys, they started subduing boys. And then blue became a boy's color. You know, I mean, really, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It should never have been blue for boys. It's like red or maybe green, but like trying to, it only makes sense if you have a war coming. <laughs> Thank you for what was, was, what is, is, and what will be, will be. <laughs> So and um, I, I want to get back to to something we had in the beginning because we had we had this beautiful opening card of the angel of new beginnings and I think that we are also here to present some new ideas that we've been cooking up in the multiversal multiversity um, and to share some philosophical approaches to creating a better more harmonious well society. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. to be aware that we're missing this color, like that we're aware of this is huge because like the way I found out about this actually started out a few years ago, I made a website with a friend and I 
I informed him he was colorblind. He did not know until I was sending him, what do you think of it with this purple and this teal and this green? And he was like, what the, this is all the same color. What do you, it's like, I was like, they're not. It's like, they're really being close. And then he was really angry about it because I spent hours on the colors. He went to a doctor like six months later. He's like, yeah, I'm colorblind. I had no idea until that. Thank you. So, I mean, a lot of people had no, imagine not knowing, having any idea about what's out there. At least now we're thinking about, you know, there being more than we're perceiving. And that's amazing. Right. It points in the direction of of, uh, what else is there to discover, right? And, And when I look into the skies, and they're mostly blue, I can experience the biggest space. I don't know if anybody of you was ever diving. But yeah, if, yeah. You, if you have been diving, then then you know how it feels to look up from 40 meters or 35 meters deep to the to the surface, you know, and you if, feel all this space all of a sudden. And when you look into the skies, whoever is in the city doesn't have to drive out to have an experience of nature. You look into the skies and you see the biggest space that you can possibly perceive anywhere. If this is not potential, I don't know. indeed indeed totally right and it's also like about this appreciation that you feel when you look into the sky and when you observe colors and just perceiving colors differently i I also for me it presents everything that is not yet you know that's potential everything that is not yet everything that we are ought to materialize any of our imaginations that goes into this field. What is not yet is, uh, is an, uh, f- a wonderful adventure taken on with the explorer's mindset that we have sitting here right now together and talking, you know, because we are sharing different versions and everybody has a very special talent and everybody of us will point something out that only he can see or she can see in, in this vast territory of the unknown. So let's map this unknown territory. Come on, guys. I think that's kind of the sounds uh, great, right? Yeah, it's like what we're designed to do. Just by, I think that's what the mission is. It's like explore through the senses. This seems to be what, no matter what the ontological nature of reality is, it seems that we're all explorers in a sense. I'll say one thing, and then I want to hear what Paul, uh, Paul, or Raphael, if you guys want to talk for a minute. Um, at the end of the Matrix trilogy, not to spoil too much, uh, Neo's kind of done his Christological sacrificial whatever. Um, and is doing this yin-yang, eternal yin-yang in the sub-matrix or whatever, and kind of being like, I choose not to give up, and it kind of fries the circuits of the logic of the Smith overlord thing. Um, and when they come into the next iteration, uh, the little Indian girl and the architect and the uh, oracle, I guess her name is, um, look up in the sky, and it is not blue. It is like a shimmering kind of um, holographic sheen, thing it's very much like coming down on acid or something like that but i just thought i might throw that in there because yeah it seems like that might be alluding to what you were talking about um uh andreas where you were saying like it maybe it holds more in it than we're capable of perceiving but it's kind of an um almost a built-in easter egg or something like that yeah i think at some point um we may have seen more uh this is my you know tartaria 
dreamy hypothesis is that at one point this was obscured by the Alvira's um, the Alvira's hypothesis is this idea that there was an asteroid right and I'm not saying it necessarily was an asteroid but that there is a layer there is in fact a layer around the earth of iridium which is the 77th element and there's only this one layer it's not underneath or above. so their hypothesis was that at some point it hit the earth and covered it. It could have actually just come out of a volcano and just covered it. But the point is the entire earth has this one layer at this one point in history. And after that, very interesting. Um, when was that? Well, so <laughs> there, there gets into the, like the weirdest thing about this is the Fomenko chronology and volcanism. If you, are considering um, the me- the time scales that were taught in school, and I, I've you know I worked in NASA and spent a lot of time on the Janus project and studying. And I, I'm uh, not saying I believe in the world being built on Thursday, you know, but it is not as old as we're told because most of these scales are relying on both the hypothetical measurements of 16th century Enlightenment scholars, such as this, uh, you know, we're talking about Isaac Newton. But also, they don't take into account volcanoes and volcanoes' effects on carbon dating because they release all kinds of chemicals. They um, they change the, uh, the 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 scale of things, and so they're often saying, "Well, adjusting and not expecting for the adjustments of volcanic uh, interference." But as we've been talking just now, like probably about ten thousand volcanoes have erupted. And are continually erupting. And we're not even talking about underwater submarine volcanoes are constantly going. And there's flumes that are constantly going. So we need a whole, and there is a bunch of effort being done to this. I'm, you know, in touch with a number of volcanologists that are trying to figure out what the real, like, effect of volcanic uh, activity is on dating. But long story short, you know, to answer your question, this probably happened within the human, um, the human uh, experience within our, not before. And so a lot of people talk about dinosaurs. The original theory was 65 million years ago, an asteroid hit the earth and Steven Spielberg made a movie, but like it could very well be that a lot of these things were more simultaneous. We are not this um, apex form of, of biology, but we're just lucky that we've survived or we've been, you know, blessed maybe even. Um, but we might have interacted and gone to, like, a lot of these ancient stories are that we went down into caves and hid for a century. The Peruvians believe they went into caves. The Hopi believe they went into caves. The uh, French, you know, the, the even the Sonian talks about the Neanderthals surviving the Campi Fiegri volcano and going into caves and surviving. So I think it was probably within the last few thousand years at the, at the oldest and What's interesting is when you start looking at the text, you know, like Homer's Odyssey mentions, and, and this is a good way that people uh, think about his colorblindness. It's like it mentions black, it mentions red hundreds of times. It doesn't mention blue once, but then you get into like... Um, and it mentions the gray seas, right? It mentions that the seas were the colors of wine. So the skies were gray and, and the seas were wine color. Okay, okay. So that's cool. But like at the same point, um, you look at the word oof, in um, Google has this program that lets you see in books when words become common. And the word oof is very popular right now. You're like, oh, they, they screwed that up. Oof, you know, like NASA burrowed into the moon. Oof. Well, it was huge in the 1600s. And then it goes down almost zero usage until about, you know, 2000. It starts to climb back up. And now it's just this huge, like 2019, 2020, like oof is like the most popular word. Similarly with blue. 
there's no mention of it in Namibia, in Africa, uh, no mention of it up until about, you know, uh, 600 years ago, 400 years ago. And then in the 1600s, it becomes quite common, you know, especially 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. This is where it becomes introduced culturally. And I find that fascinating because if you think about the Tartarian narrative, that history has been changed, that the calendars have been changed. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept that um, the number of the buildings in Europe have a J at the front of them instead of a one. So 1666 is actually in the year of our Lord, 666, you know. And, you know, 1812 would be 812. Um, there's a pretty decent theory. I mean, you know, the Russians didn't start using the Gregorian calendar until the 30s, right? So they've been, you know, all these anomalies they're trying to uncover in the, in the calendar really makes it look like the last 2,000 years are stacked on top of each other. And it's actually 1,000 years, which is, you know, it's it's digest this idea that maybe Muhammad was like, three or 400 years ago, not 700, but like 1700. And also that because of this, the year right now, this is like the matrix. We don't know what year it is. They think it's like 1722 right now, according to this, this calendar scale. And this, you know, I heard about this in school like 15 years ago. And I didn't care because it seemed like, okay, who cares what year it is? But it starts to make more sense why it matters when you start looking at how um, the the World Economic Forum is focusing on a reset. They want to level the economies and get rid of all of the debt and start over again. And you start seeing how resets have happened, how Etruscans were forced to become Romans, and the you know the backwards mirrored alphabet. Everyone's speaking Etruscan backwards into Latin. So it's a pretty big deal because we might have already gone through this very recently. It might have been only a few centuries ago that the world was, you know, we talk about Atlantis. We talk about this high society, high civilization that was lost. That could very well be real. I believe it is. And I think we're going to um, find out more about that in the next few years as society starts to get ready to collapse because some people know all this already. And a bunch of these esoteric clubs, right? Everything from the Jesuits to the Illuminati, the Hermetic, Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, of course, they all kind of say, we have the secrets of Atlantis and we're going to bring it back. So this is probably about that time. And, you know, color real blue. quick, I was watching something yesterday. Uh, I think Sad Guru. He's this kind of like hip guru dude. And he says pretty wise things. He's got a Gemini rising. I think he's a Capricorn. So he's kind of sardonic, but like funny. Um, practical kind of guy, right? Kind of big Tony Robbins of India or something like that, right? So um, anyway, cool dude. And he was talking about this, like lineages of all these people, talk, uh, you know, being like, oh, well, this guy stayed underground and meditated for a few thousand years and stuff. And I had this weird amusing because I was kind of how you're talking about how like perception alterations can change history. What is it like actually versus what are people talking about? And the idea was something to the effect of like, and this is kind of like sinister and like, paranoid i guess you could say but it's like if you had a few people because what happens is people start saying in i mean i'm not against it you did sanskrit studies and stuff it's like this is the oldest language this is the root language it's this this old all this shit comes from here blah 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 and i'm like what would happen if it was like not as old as we're told and they just had a few people like reverse writing history where it's like look instead of writing like news stories and like you know just make up genealogies it's fine it's like, whatever. well, so they, what they do, and this is like last time we had David Feisenberg Jr., the Oxford guy who was on here talking, um, with, uh, you know, as a few months yeah, ago. Just, 
by the way, uh, he published some new books, which are amazing. Everyone go check them out, add them on Facebook and wherever. Um, yeah, and, you, should get, you should get copies of his new books on COVID too. I mean, he has everything yeah, going on. Yeah, and we're totally He's, looking to get him back on. So I, I spoke with him recently or wrote with him. So yeah. Great. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm doing a thing with him like in this week, but we should definitely do some more. The thing is, um, uh, David has shown, and this is again, like we've done this research for years, but he's very clearly put together a book that's very quick to read. And so I really recommend it. And you can get it from TartaryNova.com also, because I put all of his books, books up there in our discord and just reach out and he'll be happy to talk. But, um, if you look at the lineages, which is what Anatoly Fomenko did for the Soviet Union, right? We're saying in the thirties, they converted Russia to the, uh, the Gregorian calendar. There's a lot of discrepancies they had to work out. And the reason is because they're pretty clearly that when the Jesuits were excommunicated from the church for 50 years, they killed the Pope and then they put a new Pope into power and then they dug up the old Pope. They took his corpse, they excommunicated him, they pulled his soul out of heaven and they burned everything that had ever happened in, in the Vatican for those 50 years. So we lost a lot of history, but we also found that a lot of the things that they had said in order to take over and reclaim when they got in were, were um, counterfeits or forgeries. So one way that we can now, it's hard at the time to look it up, but now it's pretty easy with a computer and you find 12 kings with 12 lines and they have the same birthdays and the same ages and you'll find four different cases in history, two to four different cases in history, whether the exact same birthdays and ages and birth and deaths for 12 generations even like mithras and jesus and stuff like that and that's even you know you get into the if you want to get into the thracians and etruska like the etruscans or the tars right and so you get into the tartaria thing real quick that way but um bacchus right so originally the goddess hestia was replaced by bacchus dionysus and so bacchus um took over the 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 place of hestia on mount olympus but hestia then by losing her temple and losing her holiday ended up the vestal virgins uh goddess and so she's like in the fireplace so the hearth and every fireplace is dedicated one of the reasons california is actually a legalized fireplaces if you don't already have one isn't just because they care about fire i mean it has a lot more to do with you know esoterics and so trying to um bring forth the era Santa. Bacchus. Yeah, well, that, I mean, you have to think about Santa Claus also in terms of Bacchus, because the Mithra cults, you know, and the Bacchus cults were all about eating flesh and drinking blood and all of these crazy things. They the met raping. in Mithraeum's caves. Like we yeah. were talking about cave people earlier. Yeah, caves are super big on this, because if you start looking into, you know, this idea of electromagnetic radiation coming from different kinds of materials, you know, that were if volcanoes could be very in the future. Let's put it this way. Like if we're going to look at how the past could have been, let's look at how the future might be. Volcanoes could be very right. useful for energy. You know, and you look at Krakatoa, it looks like it was a power plant that went off like a really, really big Chernobyl kind of thing. And that's, that's the thing we might've lost because of an environmental disaster, uh, major technology. And if you don't have that, like from one day to the next society goes really quickly. Like the, the Romans, all it took for the barbarians to destroy Rome was to smash an aqueduct and then their water, you know, 10 miles out of the city, you smash the water pipe in into the city the pipeline i see i'm not a historian no i've always wondered how the visigoths did it if it was like this long thing that's all they like did they just, smashed, no, they just straight up they straight up went 10 miles outside of rome and smashed an aqueduct and the water couldn't flow in and then people were drinking their own sewage until they died and but and the other thing is they had lead so all the elite were 
all about making this wine with uh, lead pots. And it would have, you know, a gram for every liter, at least, of lead. So the more elite you were, the more lead poisoning you had at that period. So it weren't, they weren't very ready for the Visigoths who were on their feet spry well i think it's it's obvious that knowledge gets lost and found over time you know and uh, that very essential knowledge also gets lost and forgotten and and rediscovered so one way to look forward is to remember that's no question while if we look at, uh, at the development of of humanity in the last let's say no, nearly 200 years when industrialization started, we started to realize that we are creating technology, we're creating senses, we are creating new senses. If we can't see, we start, we try to create a, a device that makes us see in certain situations and sense and analyze and, and, and micro sense and so on and so on. So where's this going? It is going towards, I think, when we look over time, and that's my theory, I would like to discuss it with you. Over time, we we look at a development which is five steps forward and three steps back. And at the end, over time, it becomes more and more sustainable and knowledge is less and less lost. So it needs to be less and less found. It can be kind of developed further, right? This is what we call sustainability. I think, no? Uh, it's amazing word choice. Um, I totally agree. If you look at what Winston Churchill said, in wartime, truth is so precious that it must be attended by bodyguards of lies, is his quote. Yeah. Has to do with the, but what we're looking for is stability. And so it's not just that it's lost and found, it's guarded and it's kept secret. Um, stability over time is the observation that you lose less and you find less uh, but you while to be honest i try to avoid the word but while you also observe yourself in the quantum physical stage of the subject which is acting observed by the subject which is only registering what the acting subject is doing without interfering. This is a permanent process of learning in which we're on this level of consciousness and humanity now, you know? I don't want to have a discussion about many or less. The, it's important that we can talk on this level and so many others can. I Wait, totally so agree. You... I absolutely agree on this and <clears throat> wait a moment, like uh, you made such a beautiful point just now, and I just want to to thank you that you said it like this, and that we can talk about this on this level. And the theory you want to discuss about stability, can you elaborate it maybe a bit more? Uh, the longer we look into the past, uh, the more we discover that <clears throat> the human race has been older and older and older and older. So it's kind of an expansion of consciousness. Uh, it, for the mind, time does not exist. Because I can be with my thoughts at any place in this multiverse at any time. In no time. In no time. The body needs time to get from A to B. So we have space-time, yes. The mind does not listen to space-time. So, so you're differentiating between brain and mind in this case, like the mind, M, capital M. Like uh, We we have the, these mind candies about, about I, what I, the mind is. May, yeah. I, may I share the mind candy of yes, like, please, yeah. brilliancy? 
of this sophisticated knowledge of the multiversity, one of the most brilliant, brilliant um, philosophical pieces that I got from my time studying at this beautiful multiversal institution was to to read this this sentence and we call it the mind candy and it's it's just this sentence the mind loves love matters and the matter reminds yeah thank you so much for this because it's really um something that's also worth elaborating um why is it important that the mind loves? Because the mind, the area of intellectualism is over. With this, the area of egoism is over and egotism is over. So only what the mind loves is relevant for love. So the selection of the mind, of the intellect, has to focus on what is the most exciting. I was mentioning the explorer's mindset, which is exactly this. It's the loving mind. That's the engine of the explorer's mindset of the human race. So this loving mind points out things that because they are lovingly found are relevant to love. And as we all know, love matters. So all the thoughts, all the mental constructions, all the imaginations that we put together are materialized by the last loving act of deed and sacrifice if necessary, right? So now we are surrounded by matter. And the matter itself reminds us of the fact that it has been a result of a loving mind. So it reminds the mind of the fact that all that has been made is pure information, information to be harvested. So whether you look back or forward, it doesn't matter as long as we move forward. It's funny. There's an, um, an album, I think, by the artist Spangl. Um, where he sampled Terence McKenna quote, but I think he's quoting Alfred North Whitehead or somebody like that. Um, where it's like nothing it's, remains, but uh, what is it? It's like uh, nothing lasts, but no, nothing lasts, but nothing is lost. And the kind of thing you're talking about in this like three steps forward, five steps back, this kind of like don't go, you know, don't worry about these things. The the kind of mental image I'm getting is kind of like a circle, but it's made of curly cues. So, like, within each little moment, it seems like it has movement, but ultimately it's going around in the Ouroboros infinitely, so upward, fractally, whatever, whatever, like cycles within cycles, right? It's like just how it kind of works. And uh, there was one more thing I was going to say, but now I'm kind of spacing. Do you mean Spangle? Oh. Spangle. Okay. There's no Spangle. Yeah, dude. Yeah. All right. He's got great shit. I saw him opening at for the Disco Biscuits at Red Rocks. Unfortunately, I was very sober for that. But it also did snow with all their lasers, which was very psychedelic. Um, I went dang. full straight edge also. Totally sober. It's crazy. I like it. No, I, it was not my choice. <laughs> this was a couple years ago. I mean, it's whatever. Both ways are cool. Um, so something that you were saying, though, it's funny, um, and I, is that uh, we just recently had uh, Richard Rudd, who is the originator kind of of Gene Keys, come on, um, he, which he thinks is kind of like a reiteration of the I Ching, essentially in modern context. And um, something that is in human design, which is kind of the you know progenitor of the blueprint for how this thing came about, uh, being the Gene Keys, is this concept of in 2027, we're going to, like right now, we're heavily Ajna, heavily mental. We've been developing in a period or, you know, not a yuga, but like a, a time 
period of mental faculty kind of trying to understand wisdom through the mind and we're going into the solar plexus which is a little different like the knowledge is different it's going to be like action as opposed to like not to say the imagination goes away but i think we'll be fundamentally operating differently soon enough possibly we're in that kind of shift now it seems the beginnings of it um but anyway i just thought that was worth mentioning given the fact that you just said we're losing our egos and we're going to go somewhere else it's like i don't know if we're going to lose like it it changes it's always changing right Um, yes it's changing i agree that we will not lose them we will befriend them you know and 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 reason with them how much they are needed to to keep us alive today you know because we have automatized uh, survival uh, elements for our environments and now we're in a phase where uh, we cannot be convinced uh, that something is worth doing if we don't have uh, the notion that it's not only good for you uh and at the same time also good for humanity so so when so many so many kids mm. today are quitting their jobs you know and they're going to work for companies that are more sustainable and where what they're pre- producing makes sense and they happily give half of their income for that you know that's what i'm talking about yeah i wanted to actually have you expand on that because um you were talking i think you said i'm not interested in the more versus less argument i think is what you said can you expand on what you mean by that well, that w- that was in context. Um, you would have to give me the context now, so that I so that I can continue there. Uh, the the versus discussion in general is a is a kind of a, a dead root of 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 rests of dialectic thinkings that we still apply, where we are thinking in good and bad, good uh, uh, positive, negative, and so on, while the mind is capable, <clears throat> or has the human race has the the big uh, present of free will, you know. So, with the imagination that we uh, are equipped with today, and the and the and the uh, capacity to remember, we are in a state where we can truly create so much more complex things that we would ever be able to do before, because uh, the more we understand how different everybody is how unique everybody is i would rather prefer to say and at the same time same you know in this mindset we will for example i was i was uh teaching for six years at the academy of of uh, advertising here again i was running the bachelor studies during that time i had about 600 students and uh those students were always kind of scared that they could do something that is not good for society you know so for the system what does the system expect the the classical question is what do i have to do to do a good grade and my classical answer was always surprise yourself and then surprise me you know and i spent a lot of time in this phase with the students and they went through the fear of doing something that people don't understand and so on and so on. And when they pushed through this, all the research and everything was done in no time. Once they enter this explorer's mindset, which is communicative, which is curious about something and then wants to find out everything humanity knows about it until it then still sees something and this is this little something that is the contribution to humanity and to self at the same time so it's the moment where the mind says you are one congratulations so i find it 
interesting mainly because I okay like we're amazing I think a lot of people are but not everyone is like some people like I'm like wow, everyone is amazing you're just not capable of seeing the amazingness of these people that you call the others you are the others I'm telling you trust we me. are the others that's exactly kind of <laughs> what I mean you. I feel like we're the others we're the others and there's this group of people that don't want to change and but they don't want to keep using Facebook individuals at the same time This group of people that we might see that doesn't want to change is a part of us that does not want to change. We have to understand that. You so are the enemy. Of Love us. your enemy. That's the Bible says it already. So Albert Pike, who was a 33rd degree Freemason, wrote Morals and Dogma. He said, uh, what we have done for ourselves alone dies with us. But what we've done for others and the world remains and is immortal. Um, I, but the question, I guess... I'm trying to, I mean, lure you into, and I guess you're not taking it because you're doing, you're doing a great job, uh, is that, that is, I guess it's the paradigm of lies and obscure truths versus full truth. Like Immanuel Kant said, never lie. Always be fully true. Tell the Nazis when a Jew is hiding in your basement. You know, I think there's a level where full truth can be dangerous. And so then there's this idea that fictions are necessary for the people and that the truth becomes deadly to those who are not strong enough to contemplate it, you know, in all of its brilliance. And that there's like, you know, now I have to, uh, to quote Sadhguru. Uh, quite good. Sadhguru has a, a lovely little, very short talk. I think it's like eight minutes or something on YouTube about. Uh, belief, you know, and the bottom line of his talking is, as long as you believe, you do not know, and you might not want to admit to yourself that you know that you don't know. And when you do that, you don't need to believe because you know, or you don't know. Uh, I think we could, we could feel and hope, and we could fill a whole episode just talking about belief and knowledge and what is what but thank you for this beautiful sentence it put it pretty well but i also think that for some people if you strongly believe and your belief patterns become your reality so in a sense your belief can become knowledge made manifest on another well, that's level. the whole Bashar thing right It's I mean, a misunderstanding because what you call a belief is what I call uh, an experimental mindset. Uh, if this person is aware that it is investigating a field in which it is not convinced yet, it, uh, there's no, then it does not need to believe. Rafa, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on this are because belief is kind of the whole shtick of Bashar and that's one of your go-tos. Well, there, you know, we could now attempt to technically or terminologically differentiate it out. Basically, we're on the same page. So nothing too much to say unless you have a specific query. I think so, too. I mean, where, where this whole conversation was <clears throat> um, could lead, and I think that we're approaching this now, was uh, what was also announced that we, at, at least what uh, what you told me, Paul, that uh, we were going to f look into this uh, field of uh, uh, creating a, a new value system, I would say in short terms, uh, based on appreciation, yeah? Yes. Rather than I would material totally, flow. I wish to take this moment to fully focus on this part of our research and to just, well, share this idea with the world because this is actually how in theory, we can all live a happy life on this planet. 
um, based on the principle of appreciation and creating a sort of culture of uh, appreciation and just well realizing that there is a possibility to just live in a free gifting society where everyone just does what they want to do or what he or she wants to do and automatically we will create up to our highest excitement the most beautiful things that we wish to create and then we can freely share this with others unconditionally and this is once we realize that we have to detach from this monetary value that is based on on this principle of deed um or schuld is is schuld in english i think it's deed um depth depth i'm sorry uh depth would be the correct term in english yeah indeed so how we gonna do this is just um, guilt actually is the word guilt yes in in German, it's the same uh, word actually, but guilt, yeah, it's also based because on guilt. guilt is much more than the the material dimension of it. So we can talk about guilt. With this might be a very interesting point, you know. Yes, it's an interesting point. We we can go into talking about guilt. I just want to first uh, clarify some some sort of terms so that we can have this conversation yeah, totally. on the same page, and that is. Um, the concept of an emotional of a spiritual value and an emotional value so any given object it will have a value but what value does it have to you because you see you will have for example a a silver bracelet of your grandmother and maybe on the material plane if you go to a a shop that gives you like dollars for it or euros or or whatever currency really then you will probably get less value out of it because you have this beautiful piece of silver and not because of the metal but just because also of the material value but also because you have an emotional value it's the silver bracelet of your grandmother so you have a sort of individual value that you give to it that you you give to it and once we realize that that the objects in our lives that hold the most value are those things that we got as a present or that we got from someone we love then we can really move into a direction where we can create a more harmonious sharing culture yeah, and the question is, how how does it make a difference uh, if you have this attachment to an object and you want to detach yourself from it, right? Then uh, you are offering it, and you're offering it together also with your story. So this is um, a good moment to talk about self-awareness because I found a nice quite operative model about self-awareness. There's a narrative self-awareness, and this is what you were talking about, the self-awareness of the of the, the biographical history of yours, where you had experiences that led to learnings that led to understanding, to knowledge, and to the next step of an experiment of investigation, and so on, and so on, and so on, you know? 
it's an endless process. So we're starting there and we communicate this emotional detachment with the, with the person that we want to give it to, right? And there's also a material value to it, okay? And there is also a spiritual value to it, right? So there's kind of three values instead of one in this suggestion of a system to think about where um, it's for now, it is not important to, it's like an experimental setting, you know? I mean, we can inform ev every th three of these levels, every one of us with any object he gives away, right? And uh, the the question is, how is this transformed into appreciation by the receiver? Which is for me now unanswerable because the detachment store as, a, as an installation concept is something that we're preparing for after lockdown in a public place, maybe a museum or something like that, where people can really come and we have conversations with them about exactly those three levels of, of self-awareness, because the second one is the minimalistic self-awareness, which is the, the collection of the knowledge which went through this path of the, the narrative self-awareness. And the third one is no surprise here, the selfless self-awareness, which is what I described before as the observer, the self which is observing the acting self, which is the quantum physical self in its constellation of awareness of being involved and never ever anything that can be excluded from this awareness. So knowing that we don't know gives us a chance to look at this whole setting that uh, Paul described so beautifully, this vision. This vision is an experimental setting, yeah? And so there's no belief in anything because we can say, okay, we know certain things and we will apply them and see how they resonate with the public, for example, in application. And, and you have a lot of experience, Paul, also with the free gifting on festivals with the, with the symbols and this enormous variety of symbols that you guys have created. Exactly. Yeah. So, so maybe to... you can share some experiences here. I wish to do that. Indeed. Um, it is more about a practical inquiry about this vision that I just shared, where we go to certain places, not only festivals, also gatherings, and we have not fully given up on cities yet. Let's put it like this. Um, have you ever tried to go <clears throat> to in front of a museum or in front of the parliament and stuff like that? Um, in a sense, I didn't, but I know that some of my colleagues in this project did so. And, and do you know about the learnings, maybe? I can share, yeah, but I mostly can share it from my own experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and from my own experience, I can tell you that in, in festivals, I... Well, I, I took it to certain levels. We had this project years ago and when it first started we had this concept of this free donation principle where we just everything we do is for a free donation and it worked it was not making us rich or anything but it worked to to kind of like live on minimum wage if you want to compare it to to some something like this yeah. and and so 
so this showed to us that it can work within the current or interacting with the current with the current uh, society and the beauty was that not only was it able to sustain myself but also it was I was able to um to talk to the people and to share the vision and to 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 have so many beautiful conversations and I kind of measured the value that I got within this time like say I I work this job for three months yeah and so I share um, wooden symbols with the people and for me always when I have a conversation about these beautiful beautiful symbols that we put on the wood for me the appreciation also comes in the form of money so sometimes I get for example 10 euros for one piece of wood but for me that's not where I see my sense of completion and it's not where I feel fulfilled what makes me fulfilled or what made me fulfilled when I was doing this was actually to well to see the people smile and to to know that uh, we had a beautiful interaction and we had a conversation and yeah I guess you must have had amazing conversations I did I had I don't know, I've stopped counting how many amazing conversations I had. Um, and another thing that I want to, to add to this is that the symbols themselves are not our symbols because there is no copyright on a symbol. Symbols are inherent to human culture, so it's kind of ridiculous to say anything different most it's like putting putting a legal right on a letter or so, so yeah actually yeah. it's funny that you say that i i'm not to diverge just a quick moment here to interject exertus uh, yeah i know right like, yeah Whoa. i was like hold on uh he was talking about at symbols and hashtags i don't know if now is the time to do this but just hold Probably. the thought of the three leads okay, well, well no, I, I, do just for a second. I do want to get into symbols but maybe we can have a special episode about symbols because i uh, sorted a databank with about 1,440 symbols, and so I do want to talk about nice symbols number. with with Exodus. And... I would I would definitely agree with you entirely. I was just kind of kidding when I went, Ur. but like the thing that's funny about it is that it's totally true. What you said is absolutely true. And for a good example is any programming language. The language itself is a language of symbols, and you can't really own a language. So all these people that are writing programming languages, they don't. Isn't like, that wonderful? Yeah, you can't own C++. Like Microsoft kind of gives up on programming languages because they can't own them and other people can use them. And like, you know, all these people make a big, Apple makes a big deal about how Swift is open source. It's it's a language. You can't copyright it. Don't act like you're making a big benefit to society on purpose. You had to, you know, and so it's it's totally true. The funny thing is my big anger about Chris Messina, who I, I, I'm not, I mean, I don't care. I don't want to assume. I kind of do, but I'm not. I won't. It's just that he said he invented hashtags and he didn't, you know, and I think that's a big point. Like trying to say you are the origin of a language when you're not is, is crazy. And it also sucks because it's a misuse 
I'll, almost every time I've ever seen someone claim something is theirs, they have a limited and um, smaller perspective of what it can be. And so it, it limits its use. And like a great example, I just want to really quickly say is like the way the hashtag, the way we used to use it, like in 99, 2001, I think it was like 12 in 2001, we were using IRC chats and we used, um, we were using all, we use basically the asterisk for ideas and we use hashtags for like pound signs at the time because like pound on your phone right for a room and then we use the at sign because that's already email was there for people so you'd be like at dude um talking about star things and ideas in pound sign room 237 like in the new or whatever chat room that we had built in a bbs board and at some point you know uh chris messina said to twitter you know you guys are don't have you know he didn't this is not their official story but this is the truth like you guys don't have a very good app twitter sucked and it sucks now but it sucked worse when it started they put a lot of money into it so it kind of works but it sucks and this originally google had created the system that was a language interpreter and you could say you know i used to use when i used google back in the 90s it was like a word in quotation marks with a plus sign and then minus this word minus that word and like there's ways like you use google that you can still use that nobody knows how to use like the original way to use google was like a programming language and so you'd use asterisks and stars and things like that um they didn't have that for twitter so twitter just had words and you if you look for you know thousands and tens of thousands hundred thousand tweets do you get more tweets. out of google if you use the old programming language oh. Oh, a, okay. First off, yes. Second off, Google will try to hire you. I constantly, when I'm yes, using, exactly. they constantly open a little screen in my window and they ask me for like an interview. I'm like, go away. Like, <laughs> but I try not to use Google. Well I, use, done. I use DuckDuckGo. I use Gibberoo. Gibberoo is even better than DuckDuckGo. I use Ecosia. It's planting oh, yeah. trees. That's totally the right thing to do, actually. You know, and the more you support, that's exactly what you need to do. The more you support, Uh, positive change in the world with your actions, the better, because so many people are just kind of saying, and you know, it's not even um, proactive destruction, but you kind of know, like, well, when I use Google, I'm supporting something that's probably building drones to, to kill people, you know, and like, I think Obama the other night said, like, he unapologetically said, And the answer said, is whatever you decide. Yeah, I mean, you got to be really careful where you put your energy. So always try be to make careful sure that you're about your building thoughts, trees. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I avoid Google as much as possible. But it was really useful is the point. And then, and they didn't invent it, dude. Also, you have to imagine um, Epstein, who financed OpenCog when I was involved with a lot of AI stuff. His uh, girlfriend, Glenn Maxwell, her sister, uh, ran a company that became Excite, or they sold their... Um, their um search engine at the time to excite and i used to use that one before you know there's like lycos hotbot there was morgellon which was like the the most powerful one but okay so basically, man, if i wouldn't know that you are uh that we're living in an exponential growth age of mind and technology i would assume that you are about 120 years old I mean, so I just was meeting a lot of musicians recently who were raised like Suzuki method, you know, where they give a guitar or a violin to a baby and they can't even walk yet. I realized really recently I'm Suzuki method computer. Like I had a computer as a baby, so I grew up around it. And so I've learned how to exist in that world. Um, You've co-evolved. But yeah, I also do have memories of being alive before this lifetime. So like, I remember being a woman in New York, like in the seventies, like not vividly, but like when I got back to New York, I knew where everything was. I could find my you way You are around. a Pisces with an Aquarius moon, I think. This doesn't okay. surprise me. 
Yeah, can we get back to our let, understanding yeah. of appreciation? Right, right. Let the me, only let thing me just, I was interjecting just... here because of the hashtag as a symbol, and we're talking about basically uh, intellectual appropriation versus like free open source, kind of like new age hippie utopianism or whatever the contrast would be to now. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, Chris Messina said to Twitter, you guys, your search engine's not working. And if someone looks for a word, they're going to see that word in a million things. So what you should do is you should use some of this coding system, put a symbol in front of a word. Set it apart. And, and the problem was they didn't know how to use computers. So when they did this, they're like, okay, we'll just have hashtag idea. It's like, no, dude, that's for rooms. We already have symbols for like nouns, verbs, different kinds of proper nouns for places and things. We have different symbols so that you know this is, you know, and then they just screwed it up. So now everything is like a room. It's like a room about a word. And it's just crazy because you already have the at sign. And, you know, again, I was saying that goes back to the 12th century of Constantine Manassas, where he signs at men for all men, you know, in the Bible. So you start seeing the use of the at symbol, the Arabes, and that's, it's been used for centuries, you know, like it's not a new thing. It was there before email. So we know that we're supposed to use these symbols, but Twitter just completely screwed people up. And it's like this, um, you know, 19 or 1984 Orwellian newspeak, because if people knew how to properly use these terms, it would be very, very quick and easy to find out any amount of information. Therefore, they're doing this on purpose, I think, to make it harder for people to find any information. And that creates an entire class of people who have no idea how to learn anything without being told it by Google, you know? Well, if there are yeah. others that are that are keeping us from something, then it is something that we have to find within. I still understood that, and and this works the best for me. Everyone can can find the truth and and can find learning within for sure. But I think uh, Exodus does have a point in that certain companies don't make it exactly easier for people to learn stuff. Well, it's the same. We're talking about right now. We're There's talking no today, way, right? This is about here and now. And here and right now on this planet, there are so many choices, and the and the kids choose, and through their choices, they also make choices more popular. This is, has already a momentum. When this was, this is the presence for me. Right, that's but the, true, and that's the amazing is to built see. Off of, Thank uh, you. Thank momentum you. of, I mean, it's a, it's a causal situation. The present's all that exists. Let's be real. But the past is where it quote came from, and the future is a projection, projected opportunity of where it potentially could go. This gets tricky because I think, um, well, it seems Andreas' is a, a kind of angle of approach. It's ironic. He kind of dwells in the past and the future hardcore, in a very real way. Um, because he's, I mean, and Raphael's whole thing with the revisionist history and like, what is true history? How do we know anything if we're not, you know, if we're told certain symbols or events or perspectives yeah. um, and, and they're not true or they're altered in some way, we are running on program, like problematic programming simultaneously in that kind of monastic hippie, all is one, it's all good thing. It's like, this is what we're preferring to experience, which is kind of what I was going to ask Paul about because he's like, we're not doing it right. Let's go this way. And it's like, I don't know if it's even, I don't disagree. I think we're going into new places, but we have to like honor where we quote have been, whether we even know it fully or not. Clearly, obviously like history is weird like that. And Raphael and Andreas, is, and I don't know about y'all's perspective, but history isn't what we're told, et cetera. And the present moment is all that exists, and I, I get that. Um, but then we have to orient ourselves in that. Um, it's tricky because mindfulness, kind of the, the present moment is all that exists, is, is uh, I don't even know, the substrate. But it seems we have a lot of developed 
cultural patterns, um, neurological techniques. Layers um, upon layers. Yeah. And to get yeah. back to precisely what you mentioned, what I'm going to do just now is play some music. We can all relax for a second and then we'll get back into the whole appreciation topic where I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. Sounds all right to you guys? Cool. If you're playing the cool. track that I picked, it's because of wordplay. Oh, some I actually pick another one the, first, some maybe. Some food for thought about the music. Is it called his story or her story? Their story. Your story. Our oh story. Our story. And and what is Our your 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 what is your? Is it is it an English word or is it a Russian letter? What are what you? Are, our story all the time. Our which, story. Which is a Russian letter? What? There is a Russian letter called your. It's in the Azbuka. Welcome back to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 187, the Multiversal Playground. Well, Exodus is still querying what Russian letter we're talking about exactly. Maybe, Paul, you can find and paste that in the chat. Here. And aside from that, Paul, yeah, the track, by the way. is uh, yours, Paul, or Andai. The, the letter As you your, to get it. yes or your it mm, I can maybe talk about this later with uh, with Exodus a bit later for oh, sure so basically well, just now, really quickly though yes. is it missing from the alphabet is it not in the regular contemporary Russian alphabet it, it was not in the alphabet of Russia initially and it got added later okay all right I'll look for it I'll keep looking thanks all right so Paul and I you got the conch yeah um uh maybe <clears throat> would you like me to link the where we were before to now because i love the music and thank you so much it, it was exactly taking on the rush of the conversation and bringing it to this very peaceful place where we're now from where we can look around and i wanted to cherish the experiences that <clears throat> paul was sharing with us we also uh, did in the multiversity an experiment. The multiversity is something like uh, an exper experimental playground for investigations. So uh, when when Paul and and uh, Alex Coy came to me with these uh, little symbols, <clears throat> which are which were so many and such a variety. I immediately clicked and said, well, this is a this is a manifestation of multiversity, so let's work with it. In front of the background of, of evaluation and appreciation, uh, we did an experiment because the multiversity is a former shop in the in the Bokas in the seventh district of Vienna, where many people walked by. So uh, before the lockdown, there was uh, the whole work passing by, uh, passing by more or less, and including, of course, the people from the area and so on. <clears throat> so we were inviting these people to pick some of the symbols. And everybody found something because there's uh, so many choices, you know, even if you just put your finger, you made a choice. And uh, we started conversations with the people about what they see uh, before we would inform them about the meanings of the symbols. And so the surprising thing was that that the people were associating things, sometimes events in their past, sometimes uh, memories of a fond one who had a symbol similar on some of a brush or something like that. And a, a very, very individual connection was made. The, 
the narrative self-awareness was involved into this thing that was a symbol, yes, uh, a sign, a part of a language forgotten, maybe, yes, now all of a sudden understood as something related to self. And this was for me the moment of appreciation, you know? I loved it. I think it was a very deep experience for me. Paul, maybe you remember. I do remember this. It was a beautiful, beautiful sunny day in Vienna when I was just strolling casually along the streets and got some pizza, I think, from, from the neighbors. Um, As always. <laughs> and then um, we had this one meter of pizza with garlic and what else? Like nowadays, I don't really appreciate this kind of pizza so much because it's not originally Italian, but um, back in the days, I really enjoyed this pizza. And we also um, shared it with the people on the street, of course. Of course, because it's all about sharing and it's, a, it's about a sharing culture and about uh, you choose your value and it's adjusted to your abilities. So maybe um, you remember some uh, conversations you had with people. Yes, I remember a lot of conversations. I don't know where to start. It's so many conversations that I don't know where to start What with pops the conversations. Up first? Just one. Grab one. Next wow. best one. No choice. Okay, okay. Just one take one it. conversation at a party in Vienna with a with a girl that just uh, was enjoying the party was um that she came to me and I had these symbols put up, these wooden symbols and And she came by and she were, was looking at the symbols and then we had this talk about, about how we are creating a new value culture and about how she can choose what she can give to us in return also. But what was really interesting to me is that initially she came and she was like drawn to the symbol of the Star of David. And she was uh -huh. like, oh my God, um... I I've never seen this symbol anywhere uh, in in a store or like most spiritual stores don't even have this symbol, and and I'm like yeah well why are you so surprised It's like we don't discriminate we have over one thousand four hundred symbols. That's a very important yeah. point. Yes, very and, important point. Mm, the irony that it's the Star of David, which is in the color blue. I think. <laughs> Keep going. Though. No, it's only in this in this color on on the flag. Also, I would recommend you're from the states, right? I don't know why have you your war flag on. I don't understand this, but um, that's maybe another question because I want to get back to no discrimination. No discrimination, yes. Um, but from from a symbolic perspective, symbolically speaking, um, it would be recommended to if we want world peace then we should change the american flag um well you're also familiar with the gold the gold tethers around the flag right you know so in america we have two flags um one is looks identical except it has gold um tassels. tassels around the flag that refers to maritime law and naval law um if you go into a courtroom and you see one of those flags it's in america it's often a good idea to ask them to remove it and have a real like american flag put in or say you will not be part of that court because it's a maritime court court, have... court is a funny funny that you mentioned court because i agree with you 
And in Austrian courts, um, there is the the state uh, representative is seated to the right, and the defense is seated on the left. So from the judge's perspective, the right is is with the with the state lawyer. Indeed, yeah, and it's kind of funny how the brain, you know, if you think about how the brain is flipped, the left side, the right side of the body. But I think uh, would be a good idea to more, make more like a turning stage. Like, there's more important questions like uh, coffee or tea, for example. And I recently took a picture of coffee and tea, and I put it on Facebook. Actually, I intend to use Facebook less. But the idea was to kind of, uh, well, it's it's a, actually a Cambridge University entry test, at least from what I've heard. Um, but in the picture, it's easier because the T is on the right, so you obviously make the right choice. Um, anyhow, I wanted to get back to the story with this girl in this party, and yeah. so so she was really amazed by by us having this symbol, and. Um, Then I took the care to elaborate and to to talk to her about how this symbol actually represents originally the balance from an indigenous perspective, the balance, and from a symbolic perspective, the balance in between the male principle, which in sacred geometry is the upper triangle, and the downwards triangle is the female principle. So basically I do appreciate this uh, symbol being also found in a flag but um, yeah you know so much about these symbols and that is what amazed me when I worked with you together that you always could kind of provide an, uh, uh, a feeling of availability of human knowledge you know so there is the there is the the, the database of human knowledge <clears throat> with forgetness and refindingness and so on we talked about that uh, which is uh, available to us, like Wikipedia is available to us. It's created by us and it's controlled by us and it is uh, monitored and cared about by us. And that's why it's true, right? So with the beginning of, of trust in the, in the collective mind, we really start to be able to provide the, the knowledge of humanity and also through empathy, the, the connecting the connection of the individual with the object, you know? Mm -hmm. A, well, to find it you. out, and B, to, uh, to, to discover it or create it with this person, yeah? And I think if we, if we manage to do that, we do a lot forward in investigating appreciation as the key to a new uh, system of values, right? So in that context, did we need to fall into a yuga of disappreciation and ignorance to things in order to actually have the values that you guys are espousing or the no, ideals we need to be? No, towards? would you suggest that for the future? I wouldn't. I mean, it's a presupposition. We all have them. So I I'm think kind we're, of just... we're going... that's, a blink into, that's a look into the mirror. So you look into the past. If you, if you reintroduce the past into the future, you're not offering solutions that are beyond. No, I think what I was saying is in okay. So how would I put this? The reason you could say Babe Ruth is one of the best baseball players is because you compare can compare him, I guess, to people who aren't as good. So it's like the yin yang symbol. You know, black because of its 
relationship to white in that sense, the polarity or the masculine tri upward triangle to the downward feminine. There's a differentiation and we can appreciate those and differentiations. And you know also that you can work with a different system, which is rather black nor white, but has shades of gray or colors yeah. or whatever you want. So this is the well, third element. Yeah, if you it. introduce free will, please give us the third choice. I'm wondering if it's always been available. It might be conditions that we've, I mean, Rafa, what are your thoughts? And in this moment, it? we find out well, that we know that we don't you know. Always <laughs> available, your free will is always avail available to you and it shall not be interfered with in any way. Right. I so, I, I mean, maybe a word way to put it is like we've chosen hyper nationalism and consumerism, and we now have realized that the way we, we have over generations appreciated. Have you, have you chosen that? No, I don't think you have chosen that. So now you put yourself into a wee pot who is not yours. Oh, hold don't on, choose and I, that. Hold I don't on, choose on. that. Anyone you're a part of doesn't choose that. Calm down, no. Calm down. You're choose... part of an inherited culture, a history, if you will. And it's like, for example, Germany then did some crazy shit. Past tense. We have chosen. We have to be right, precise. Correct, correct. Okay, yeah. so we have what the now is all that exists. So uh, we have chosen in a, in a holographic sense. Um, the lessons that we have the, and the conditions of the doubt to fluctuate us to a place where we can have pizza parties and cool conversations about the star of David. Like that wasn't going to be happening in 1930s Germany, probably. So well, we're yeah, at this place. Dead jazz. <laughs> well, we are at the moment in a point in time where we are ascending from a quote unquote dark age where we are. Right. That's what I was going to get. Time. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, Jim's right. There's definitely subconscious things that were stuck. I mean, and I, didn't you just choose or did you not choose to refer to Wien as Vienna? Like, I mean, look what we're, look where we're at. Like there's a lot of things that we just take for granted. Wien, Vienna. Yeah. I mean, uh, we are, uh, we are on a path of expanding consciousness. Is that right? So we are human, which is uh, which means that we are on a path of of unending learning. So of course, and uh, finding yourself uh, reacting or working with a stereotype is sometimes to, in order to be understood. Just while we choose that we want to focus on something else, right? I exactly. Mean, if you put okay, attention okay. to that, now we can talk about it. I, want to... I don't think it's necessary. Okay. Well, that's good, but cool. I thought it was worth mentioning that it's basically. It's it's interesting, and I am very interested in Paul and your multiversity. Um, it's kind of hard to have you know conversations about. I, I think. Well, I'll get to this later. Um, it's interesting. I think. I think, I think it's, it's it's about more sharing just our experience and getting maybe to these these questions um, about about the historical aspects and about yugas because we already know about yugas and we already know about about the kali yuga ending and being ascending to satya yuga and stuff like this we know this and well so, i don't know it they're presuppositional models i like talking about them because i don't know much about them they're beliefs well, people hold. i don't know it either at the same time i'm just uh, choosing to use this this term no for some reason because also, what I wanted to add to what you just said earlier, that Andy referred to Venus Vienna, is obviously because we are on an invitation on a on a English show here. So I think in his day to day life, he wouldn't refer to Venus Vienna. 
Well, it did make a rough yeah, one. Yeah, but he, he, did, he did in order to make sense to other people. And that's right. what I meant. And it's also yeah, like he's talking about... Ah, okay, no, no, I guess no, that we're international listeners. He's trying to, you know, meet people where they're coming from. But it's also, you know, the thing is, I and as on the right wave. We need to make the world a better place. We need to expand, not contract. I'm curious, Anda, how you feel about Terrence McKenna's time wave theory and like, you know, collapses in society that have happened. Do you think that we're constantly on this growth path or is it like Bitcoin where we have sips and dips? If you explain it to me in a nutshell, I will I will give you my take. I'll just say, I think I got your point, Exertus. Causal necessity of contractual moments. Death gives us value of life. Uh, Nazis make us appreciate freedom, right? Stuff like that. Bold statement. Oh, my word. <laughs> but maybe we can finally move into a time where this repetition of history is not necessary anymore, and we, are, we can transcend to put it in... I think Sadhguru was mentioned, and he uses this term called samskara, which basically means uh, collective karma. And I've been... I've I've been trying to avoid saying it all night. So since Sadhguru, it's funny, like there's a guy in our Tartarinova Discord who is from India and his name he goes by Gnostic, but like hue, like the color blue. And his whole thing is that Sadhguru is trying to um, destroy the Vedic studies. I like Sadhguru, by the way, but like I, I see him. his... Yeah, I, I dig him, I guess. I see his point in a lot of things. He talks about how calculators are useless until a guy picks it up. And Hello. Computers so? are gonna... he's, he's great. I think, I think he does a great job at managing somehow uh, to den Spagat oder die Waage halten. So he, he kind of manages well to, to bring the best of both worlds, in a sense, to, to kind of bring... Um, a practical balance. approach, yeah, balance and a practical approach to um, to applying Vedic wisdom in current societies, which is kind of difficult because also I, I don't think he's destroying Vedic wisdom. I think he's just, uh, well, I can see the point of some really hardcore traditionalists saying that, that he would be going against certain traditions um but i also think it's time to kind of mm, he is a virgo with a, a sun with a capricorn moon he's lighten very up about that that's my full-on um that's my full-on point really is that they took uh the society and they broke it into pieces and now we're trying to put pieces back together we might not want all of it we might not want the untouchables this part of caste system we might want to automate parts of it and it's we might a lot of debt but we want value exchange so i grew talked about how a lot of indians lost their jobs when they were told but that they no longer needed to come to the docks to pick up salt bags and bring them into india because they had machines that could unload the boat in about you know an hour or 17 hours one giant you know, boat. Um, but now you think about Hamza, I know from the Adobe temple. So it's like a lot of them got jobs doing something way cooler than lifting salt. Um, so that's, you know, I think that that's the thing we want change a lot of the time, but we also have to be consequentially aware of how it affects um, both ourselves and each other and our maneuverability. That's where it becomes like this argument. And you see 
people where they're like the COVID thing. It's like some people are like, I want my individual rights. And the other people are like, your rights don't matter as much as you know, your privileges don't matter as much as the societal right to exist. So it's like, if you want society not to collapse, uh, we have to follow all of these, you know, rules the elites have set up. You have to give every single (laughs) human being eight, eight billion, eight billion human beings and everyone, Every every person must get uh, the Maslow base, if you're familiar with the term of Maslow's pyramid. And the unconditional um, income. Well, that would be one way to do it, but what I'm I'm more putting it into psychology. I mean the hierarchy of needs. And the hierarchy of needs, exactly. Right. It's called Maslow's pyramid, and there is this uh, basic line of Maslow's pyramid, which basically says that. Um, well, you shall, you shall have food and shelter and water because what we realized building communities is that only when you have this basic life necessities given to you, then you can fully reach your potential and serve humanity and the society in a harmonious way. It's hard and, to thrive if you're dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or if your water is filled with fluoride or something like this. Um, Hypothetical so yeah. question, though. Um, let's say somebody was a real asshole in their past life and they're living a life, because I don't know this, I don't really believe any which way, but I'm like, is it our, is it a bodhisattva duty, I guess, to enlighten everybody through compassion? It seems like that's what you're kind of getting at. How does that infringe upon the system I mean, this is one reason a lot of Buddhist priests is, are like, is, don't feed the poor and necessarily. They might, that's their karma. So, so a bodhisattva, that's not compassion, right? A bodhisattva is acting out of pure compassion. And so just through being compassionate and unconditionally loving towards every human being that he or she meets, um, well, if the people are ready to receive this, unconditional love or wisdom or compassion or whatever English term you may assert to a bodhisattva, which is, um, well, let's put it this way, it's, it's difficult also because of the samskara, because of colonialism and therefore some some minds have a, well, rejection um, about <clears throat> about talking about something even like a bodhisattva in English, for example, but uh, I tend to be not discriminating anyone, so I, and also not any language. Um, I'm just also feeling parts of the collective because I'm very hypersensitive and I can tune into energy fields over distance and stuff, but um, I'm still learning. What's your chart, Paul? You got to send me your natal chart. I can send it to you. I'm still also learning to to kind of... uh, to manage these abilities to also my own highest uh, good and um, what also can happen is that a a bodhisattva or actually any shaman for example when in the wrong cultural environment um, sometimes will seem aggressive or something just to to mirror because one thing about my chart is that i'm a white galactic mirror in the in the mayan astrology so at snap and um 
but that's about my chart and my kind of like occult identity as Raphael put it last time um, what I actually wanted to to get into is sharing a bit more of about these practical inquiries and these interactions that I had with the people because this was or is the best the best thing about my life to just well have these possibilities to interact with people in such a beautiful way and I think it's such a it's like the best conversation opener you can have to to have these, these um, wooden wooden symbols and and also this project has so many levels and so many so many parts you know it's also yes. about it's it's so diverse that i think that uh, the reason why this works is the that the diversity of symbols that you are offering is representing the idea of diversity of humanity you know and so everything is equal there there's no discrimination this is a very good starting point and just for the record i want you guys to come on and have like a, a multiversity episode I know that's maybe what we originally intended, and we kind of mashed a bunch of people together in one room. So this Sounds is more good to me. Yeah, so Sounds don't feel like you're not going to represent it. Like, I want you to flush it out, and I won't be, you know, whatever. Andreas had no clue about that stuff. I didn't really, um, and I'm now hearing... I do love. I do love everything I've been finding, you know. I've been looking it up in the last, like, half hour or so. And, like, the idea in just the word multiversity, I mean, come on, it's genius. <laughs> yeah. So let's have a, have a special episode about the multiversity, and, and I... With pleasure, yes, let's do that. So yeah, don't feel slighted or uh, gypped or whatever. Even that term, I think, is bad, right? But uh, oh, I mean, there's um, an I, amazing I variety of speakers here, and and I really enjoy this conversation because sometimes I have no idea what you guys are talking about, and then I understand that it's about diversity and development, and then I'm in again, and so these journeys are wonderful for me. The irony is it's kind of meta, right? Like each of us are the symbol that you're representing at these kind of shindigs where you're showing symbols as within, so without. And as you're speaking, I, I, I can totally answer. That... Yes. Yes, Paul. Yes, Raphael. I think that I just uh, said, I think, but you were already talking, so I give the word to you. Go ahead first. Indecision uh, I... causes war. <laughs> I think that it maybe also time to just uh, explain a bit more about the project that we have with these wooden things and the free donation concept that we evolved because it started out with free donation but we transcended it and we are very conscious with our wording and we you're saying free the nation like free austria free donation free austria oh, free donation free... okay okay like like here take this for free gotcha exactly but that's actually not quite the point because when you say free donation then it creates psychologically the expectation of a return so this is in return for a free donation and in german at least in uh, and so we evolved this and we took it to the next level where we worked with the terms of um and we translated actually also free donation in in many languages and and donation um, and we took it to the next level and it was the most beautiful experience when after a festival where I had this um, 
where I had these conversations with the people about conscious giving, taking and receiving. So it's it's about also teaching well our species how to consciously give, take and receive. And through working in this I, I forgot about taking for I don't know. Some, I, some, I was some thinking weeks. a lot about these categories, mm -hmm. and uh, for some reason, I was trying to implement our understanding of free will into these categories, and I came up with to offer and to accept. So everybody, nobody is given something without being asked. Nobody is being taken something without being asked, you know? So you exactly. offer and you receive. Exactly, that's the way it should be. You offer and you receive. And I think that's also practically with this, with this, and the word conscious, to do it consciously. Right. How and, does expectation play into that? Well, well, the expectation kind of gets removed and the talks got different with the people. Because before it was kind of like, okay, uh, we talk about the symbols, you choose your favorite symbol or the one that resonates most with you. A blue and hashtag. I'm no, they're they're all they're all wooden. Maybe some are painted. You can paint I them was yourself. Big you can make. How can did make... the appreciations reflect <clears throat> on that? The appreciations. Yes. Yeah. So I got more appreciations, and I got the better. Well, the the things that made me happier in return when I stepped it up a level. I got less money. Right. Happiness. But I got Joy. more happiness because I got. I got, um, I got. Joy would be a good currency. One joy for all. One joy for all. We can talk about the joy in the next episode about the multiversity, probably. But I do want to take a bit more time to elaborate about the reflection about the appreciation. Yeah, totally. Okay, thank you. And so, so. What I noticed was that once I changed it from free donation to, or we changed it from free donation to this concept, or we collectively worked on it and evolved it. And then um, I got, for example, conversations with, with, with beautiful people from all around the globe uh, about so many different topics, but mostly also about their form of appreciation. And then I could observe the difference in, in, in appreciations. So some people before, when, when it was still linked to this concept of a, of a free donation, I got 10 euros, maybe uh, or I don't know, 20 euros or, or I don't know, maybe also just one euro because it should be adjusted to your possibility. But when I changed it to, to this concept of appreciation, of appreciation, then I, I received seashells collected at the beach, for example, wow. or I received herbs from, from 
another continent and something meaningful to the other right exactly and to you now and so i i gathered these, these things um for some time and and then i think that it is absolutely possible to shift into a reality into a reality where we all or I don't want to force anyone to do it. It's an offer, not not like I give this or I, I force you to do something. It's an offer, but I think that it's possible for us to to shift more into this reality yeah, where absolutely. we all just share freely what we gather. And... Um, yeah. To, to finish this maybe um, it would be beautiful to see everyone just sharing something that is of value to them and what they think is of value to you and just giving others something for their walk to the next monastery that will enhance their experience and as theirs does to you. Yeah, I, I also got some some really cool stuff. I got some psilocybin drops once, which I, I don't have any idea how to make this even, but one, one random uh, friend gave me two drops of this, uh, or three drops of psilocybin as a, well, kind of really well-made um, drop. Like and an extract. Kind of like an extract, yeah, but like a, a the texture was kind of um, like a like a Baumharz. Wow. Well, they're obviously team rabbit holes, fuck. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Paul, can, can, yeah. Can can you tell us how uh, how the the passing on of the objects that you received went? Did uh, some people that you know see something and were immediately attracted by it and took it with them, with having a personal connection, stuff like that? Oh, that happens in no, like in. In some cases, I do talk to the people, but sometimes I just leave my my beautifully set up uh, art gallery and I return to it, and suddenly I find that there is random things, and then the next day another oh. being comes and says, uh, "So yesterday a friend of me was here and he gave you this psilocybin drops or something like this," and. Actually, okay. we, we can we can just totally work around the worn drugs with just insert one lost and found. Tricky with dosing, but yes, definitely possible. Well, like I said, I want to like get you legally on. Legally speaking, but that's not necessary because. <laughs> well, it's again interesting to see. Just maybe to round this up, uh, that uh, the variety of things that he received is mirroring the variety of things that he was offering, you know? And and this undiscriminatory uh, approach of being touched by the story of someone and all of a sudden the object becomes a link, you know? 
a piece of language, a, a transfer of an emotion, of an understanding of whatever this talk has brought. Yeah, and it's a token. So it mm -hmm. is. It is not. It is not working without charge. Kind of, you know. It has to be passed forward. You know. And that's the beauty of it. We we understand that that true value is the dynamic of things and not yeah. the static, right? I also I also want to maybe thank you, thank you, truly thank you. And I it was beautifully put. I like this. Um, another point that is maybe interesting to mention is that we all collectively will move into the reality that helps us more when we talk beautifully about each other and i know that it's not always easy because emotions also play a part but um let's put that aside for a moment and i just want to focus on on this passing on on the object because this is a really interesting question so, uh, this is a really interesting question that i truly like to answer and This is the kind of questions that I like to receive um, or to be offered. And right. so the passing of the object is, is also differently in, in different situations. And what brought me the most joy was adding personal notes to the to the to the wooden symbols and then just giving them to to people but totally without any intention to gain any sort of benefit from it you would write something the, that you had taken from the conversation on the token right yes exactly i would just for example write that if we talked about how much she or he loved to go into nature and why he chose this wooden tree, then I would uh, write on the back, nature loves you or something like, like this, or, or just yes. something, something beautiful. Well, it seems like a Trojan horse almost to get around the um, Machiavellian capitalistic economy we have. Where and we the beautiful thing is it, fill, it is filled with mind candies, the horse. It's filled with mind candies, guys. That's good news. It is. Let, let's uh, call this the end of capitalism. Well, it's definitely had to happen to get out of it, it seems. So, yeah, let's, let's leave the world. I got I to say, I, I, it's, it's not the capitalism is the beginning because capitalism is where we start making alchemy out of something and we've been using the word wrong to right. describe okay sure sure but what is capital capital is a gain made you know it's like the it's the worship worship is the worthy gift it's the thing that you get like let's say you have a bison and you have tons of bison and then they make a baby right and that's capital like they've made new you know growth so it's all about growth, and, and the idea seems impossible because we've been ta taught that there's always entropy, there's always loss, but it's just because we're also not taught that there's always growth, there's always expansion, the multiversity thing, as, as Andai has been saying, right. it sounds like. Right, and we have that. understood that the fact that there is an end to growth, while there's no end to the dynamic of uh, growth and, and scarcity and growth and scarcity, and this is abundance. Right. The abundance is once we understand that we, when we understand things in time, 
then we are truly in a conscious yeah. level, right? My favorite dance. Abundance is my favorite dance. Well, gentlemen, Let's I don't dance. want to keep you too long. I know that it's kind of late in Vienna. Um, for us in America, it's not that bad, but it's getting kind of late. Um, any, we're going to get you guys uh, on the and die and on die and um, Paul. If you guys want to tag team and do a multiversity kind of like spiel, let's make With it like pleasure. more official. If you don't want to stumble over my name, you put it in the end because that's how it's meant, you know. And then you are I. <laughs> Paul is I, I sampling it. his psilocybin <laughs> drops now. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but it's been a real pleasure hearing all the perspectives. I think the irony is it seems we've been doing this exchange just very from an unconscious place for a long time in a programmed place. And what you're kind of showing is uh, intentionality uh, behind your conduct within an economy of giving, basically. So that's yes. beautiful. So I, I really do appreciate you guys coming on. Um, any parting thoughts? And, you know, uh, and I, uh, Paul, Exertus, Raphael. I mean, I would just like to thank everybody for involved for the for the opportunity to have this con conversation with you guys, which I found to be on a very high level, playful and uh, forward looking. And I'm very grateful for this. Looking forward to the next party. Same for me. And I can just second that. And also, I want to add that I was really happy to hear your voice, and I, because it reminds me also of these beautiful multiversal conversations and yes yeah. and we will speak yeah. again soon see and and we do it on radio so many people can partake that's wonderful i enjoy this very much Thank I, you. I want to second that the viennese accents is, is crushing it it's great keep it up and then i would like to try to get you into the council of andrews um and everyone else who's listening please go ahead and check out we have so many things going on com tartarinova.com philosophy memes we've got like seventy thousand members now and on facebook minds.com library i'm doing a interview with jeremy kaufman the ceo and founder of library on the ninth and that'll be oh, really sweet. interesting so yeah we're going to be doing some amazing things just wow. try to figure out some way to find you go to andreas.me and you can find me and can and i'm everywhere so go, go look for the exertus join the exertus as soon as possible Andreas.me is so similar to and I in a, in a very yeah, meta. My, and I love can, the you, phrase, I'm everywhere. I love you, it. You can email me at I am at Andreas.me. Like, I mean, right? Symbols everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, the funny thing is the dream never really changed. Our perspective on it has over whatever we perceive time to be, it seems. But uh, yeah, enjoy the fucking ride, guys, and choose wisely. Thanks so much Let's, for having me, and let's do this again soon. And let's talk about our sightings next time. Yes, next time. It was a pleasure to talk to you all, and I really enjoyed this this talk. Really, it was great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to share also about my experience, and and also I learned a lot from from Exorgis and also from 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 all of you guys actually actually from just this beautiful conversation all right uh, thank you so much in this case really just guys um yeah i was about to say be smart check out each other's content and uh, enjoy yourselves love to be hippie 2.0 to love to love yourselves and others there are no others guys bye bye and of course, thank you all for listening. Enjoy. Find the non-others. <laughs>
Radio Pop.